the title of this morning's message is Me Revival Part 2. So would you pray with me and then we're going to get, we're going to really just get stuck into the Word this morning. Lord God, I just thank you for your presence here. I thank you for everybody gathered here. It's no mistake that we're all here this morning and ready to worship and ready to hear your Word. And Lord God, I pray that you'll honour everybody that's come this morning. Everybody that got up and, you know, could be out mowing their lawn or could be sleeping in or whatever. But they've come here to to hear your word this morning. They've come here to connect with you. Each one of us has. And Lord God, I pray that you would honour that and that you would speak powerfully into each one of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who believes that when two or three are gathered, Lord's in the midst, right? Yeah, cool. That's what happens, right? So that's why you're here. So that's what we're doing. So we've been talking about uh, Acts chapter 2. So this is kind of, so we're in a series. This is our theme verses for the series. Show it up for me, gentlemen. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We'll get it on the big screen. Those who believe what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. That's a good church day, right? 3,000 people uh, get saved. That's not a bad effort. Um, so this is what's happening. All the believe, and there was only, you know, like say we talk about big crusades. I mean, even we've got a youth camp happening uh, next weekend. There'll be 300 kids. There. You know, it takes about 50 odd um, people to put on that youth camp. Well, there was only 120 in the room, and they had 3,000 people revival, right? So, so it's a pretty good effort, you know, numerically, statistically, whatever. All the believers delo- devoted themselves. This is where we've been concentrating on. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So what we were saying, what we've been saying, just a quick recap, because I've got a fair bit of ground I want to cover this morning, but, but a quick recap is what we're reading here is the early church at its most pure form. Like the Holy Spirit had just come. Jesus said, you know, to his followers just before he ascended into heaven, he said, hey, don't do anything. Like they were ready to take the world. He said, don't do anything. Go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. I would prefer that you didn't, um, and Timmy was talking about represented communion, wasn't he? he? So basically Jesus is like, I don't want you misrepresenting me. I don't want you stuffing it up. Go to Jerusalem, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Once the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be game on. Right? There's only 120 of them. And then the Holy Spirit comes and it's the day of Pentecost. You may or may not have heard that, but basically the Holy Spirit comes. This is the moment we just read about. 3,000 people get saved. All right? And this is, this is, I suppose, the purest. This is before humans got to stuff it up, right? I don't know about your life, but the only person stuffing my life up is me. Um, so, so this is as pure as it gets, And so we're looking at pure, um, I suppose, Christianity in some ways this morning. 3,000 people, that's almost half of Roma's population. So that's, like if we had 3,000 get saved this morning, that's revival, okay? Okay, That'd be revival. We talked about the fact that you can't really have revival unless you had something that had died, okay? So in in some ways, that's not really revival. That's just how it should look, okay? What we just read, that's what it should look like. We're trying to get back there. All right, So, so, but don't worry, even as I mentioned, you know, that many people getting saved on a Sunday morning, but don't worry because God is stirring stuff in your midst. Do you feel that? Do you feel God is stirring stuff even here, even in Roma, even this morning? This is my week, so on Monday I get a phone call. Before, before 9 o'clock in the morning on a Monday, I get a phone call. Hey, Shane, I'm, gonna go, I'm about to go and meet with someone. Let's pray about it. I don't really know how this is going to transpire. And I was like, yeah, mate, we'll pray. That's what we do. So we prayed. Get a text that afternoon, and it was just a pretty simple text. If I would had my phone, I actually probably could read it to you. But it was basically this, um, met with said person. <laughs> 
Said person gives their heart to Jesus. So how cool is that? It's my Monday. I haven't even got, I haven't really got started for the day. That wasn't me. That was what someone in our church, and that's what it should look like, right? You know, the, the pastors equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? So then on, Monday, on Tuesday morning, I'm having a yarn just outside the building, actually, again, before nine o'clock in the morning, having a yarn, and someone said, hey, Shane, you wouldn't believe it. Just out of the blue, someone approached me, you know, third-party sort of situation about someone who's not currently going to church but would love to connect to church. And this is Tuesday. Mate, I was up way before nine o'clock on the, on the Wednesday, okay? I was like, what's God going to do today? God is stirring stuff. God is stirring stuff. So don't worry about that. Don't worry. He's stirring things. But what do things really look like in the revival environment? Have you ever wondered? Again, we ask the question, when, when, when we sing Lord Send Revival, what's God thinking? Well, we get, I believe we get an answer in this, in this, in this verse in this very verse we just read, throw the slide up of the original Christian for me. I, I sort of t- coined this phrase myself, but the original Christian, this is what it said the original Christian would do. The original Christian, the undefiled Christian, if you like, the Christian that had just been filled with the Holy Ghost and his most potent power, this is what the original Christian would do. They would apply teaching. We just read it, by the way. This is just a, just a paraphrase of what we just read. They would apply teaching. They gathered together. They ate together and they prayed. We complicate stuff, don't we? We complicate it. That's all the original Christians were doing. They were just, they were just there, applying the teaching that they heard. They were gathering together regularly. They were eating together and they prayed. And you're like, well, that sounds too simple. We just read Acts yourself. Like we just literally just read it. In the first part of this series, we talked about the word devoted. And we said how the first Christians, this just what, what's on the screen below me wasn't a good idea. They devoted themselves to it. It's, it's to the next level. This was, if you think about the environment of the early church, this, this is the best way I could think to describe it. This was a put God first environment. This was a, if God said it, we're doing it environment. Not, you know, when I get time or hopefully by the time I'm, you know, mature at the age 85, I'll, I'll start applying. So, no, no, no. This was a put God first environment. That's what revival looked at like. And so this morning, I want to take this a little bit. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at some of these things. What does it look like? So this morning, I want to look at this. What does it look like to be devoted to applying teaching? You might, well, that's pretty obvious. If it was, if, but I think we need reminding sometimes. I remember a preacher saying many moons ago, many moons ago. Actually, this was a, this just, it's just coming to my mind now, but this is a pastor who was leading a church in revival. Like literally, it was a, Pentecost, a Pensacola revival. Some of you might be familiar with it. I heard him say, he said, and just, you know, whatever, but he said, you know, t- preachers aren't saying anything new. He said, preachers, we just keep telling, we just keep preaching the same things because the truth is this, and this is what he said. This is a guy from an inner church in revival. So this is right where all this sits. He said, if, if we just did what we already knew what to do, we would all be powerhouses for Jesus. We know that's true. I was 19 or something when I heard that. I was like, that is, that's so true. How much more teaching am I not employing today, right? <laughs> At 19, I knew I wasn't doing everything I'd learned to them, which was next to nothing. And here I stand before you today, say that, that, that statement is as true about Shane today as it was 20 odd years ago. But I think if we're honest, we could all put our hands up and say, you know what, yeah, I could probably just apply. It'd take me the next 20 years to apply everything I already know. But the, but the original Christians, they devoted themselves to applying teaching. So how do we go about that? If we all know it, but we're not doing it to the best of our ability, I would suggest, um, what, what, what are some questions we need to ask yourself? I wrote four here. 
These are key. You might not have ever thought about it like this, like this. But if you were to apply teaching, the first question I was like, what would be the first question you would ask yourself? I would ask this, is God ordering my steps? Well, that's a bit left field. Did God lead me to this point in time? And I mean like this morning. Is God, did God lead me to here? Do I believe that I'm in Roma for a reason? You gotta answer these questions. Do I believe that God has me here for a purpose? Now, to be honest with you, I'm just gonna be a real straight shooter with you this morning. I'm gonna be really straight. If your answer to any of those questions is no, I'm not sure, I would would say this to you. Is it any wonder you're not applying the teaching that you're receiving? The truth is you're gonna struggle. You're gonna struggle to be, if you don't believe God is ordering your steps, if you don't believe that God has you here for a purpose, you're gonna struggle to apply the teaching that you hear. If you don't believe, and I don't just mean here on the planet, I mean here in this house. If you don't believe that, you're not gonna apply what gets sold here. This is what you're gonna do, because we're humans, right? I just say this because I know what humans are like. Spent a long time studying them. Um, What we will do is we will just look and we will search for voices that say the same things that we already believe. Yeah, come on, we know that's what we do. That's not a recipe for growth and maturity, by the way. That's a recipe for stagnation, for disillusionment and bitterness. Come on, that's not where you want to live. On the other hand, which is the hand I want to talk about today, on the other hand, if you believe that you are in the right place, you're in for the right of your life. You're in the right for the right of your life. I'll tell you why. Because you're going to be stretched. See, if, if I don't believe I'm here for the right, if I don't believe I'm in this house because God led me here, and I'm, I'm just going to look for the people, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is not the teaching that I, this is not, the te- this is not what God has for me. We aren't going to apply any of it. But if you believe on the other hand, is like, wow, that was really challenging. Never thought about it like that. Then you're going you're gonna to be stretched You're going to be challenged. You're going to take risks. You're going to step out into new areas of faith and you'll experience the supernatural power of God like never before. Why? Because Peter, when he walked on the water, heard the voice of Jesus and stepped out of the boat, not gone, I I think I'm going to have to see that in the Greek. He did see it in the, he heard it in the Greek. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? It's where faith's involved. That was stretching. That was different. That was new. That wasn't what he already, he had to his life to that point had believed humans couldn't walk on water, right? Now, if he didn't believe he was in the right place at the right time, listening to the right voice, there's no way he gets to be the only person that's walked on water. When I say to you this morning that applying teaching is how you walk into the supernatural, you better believe it is. That's all Peter did. He didn't have a prayer meeting, didn't spend 20 minutes speaking in tongues, didn't go and check all on YouTube whether this is accurate. He just heard the voice of God and he stepped out. This is the experience of the early church and this is what me revival looks like. It looks like the supernatural in your life because you're applying teaching. Now, if, that, if all that is true, and look, again, you can decide whether it's true or not, but that's up to you. Um, but, but if it is true, if God has you here to develop and grow, what are the key teachings of this church particularly? Because if you don't like Roman, the, the, my advice to you would be learn them quick and then you can move on. If you don't learn, you're going to be here with me for a long time. If I know anything about God. 
So what are the key teachings of this church you might be here to learn? And I'm not saying everyone's here to learn all these things. I am saying what, there's a, there'll be teaching here that you're here to learn, right? Makes sense to me. So what are some key? I'm just going to rattle some off. If you've been here for a long time, you'll recognize them. If you haven't, it, it doesn't matter because you're not really supposed to. I'm just trying to make a point that we have different key teachings. One was, and I was sharing this with, actually with the young adults on Monday night, so grow and celebrate. Not going to go into it. It's just a key teaching we have here. Another key teaching we have here. Everybody's following someone. Everybody's taking someone with them. That's the way we define discipleship. It's about being led but also leading others. If you don't have those two things, you're not a disciple of Jesus. What we prioritise gets done. We don't make excuses here um, that I didn't have time. No, because I preached a sermon many years ago and said this, I'm going to stop lying to myself. I tell myself I don't do this. I don't have enough resource for that. I can't, whatever. But we actually decided we're going to stop lying to ourselves and just be honest and say, actually, what I prioritize gets done. Don't have time to pray. Well, the truth is I, I prioritize something else. Don't have time to read my word. I prioritize something. It's true. Like, it's what we prioritize gets done. We all know that. You don't have to be that intelligent. You probably, if you're in grade six, I reckon you can understand that concept. Actually, yeah, the stuff that gets done is the stuff I prioritize. I prioritize watching TV. It got done. I can't prioritize time on Facebook. It got done. It's not, a, I'm just, it's, it's not about what we are doing. It's just want to, hey, let's just all be honest. Let's just be honest about it to ourselves. Not be honest to me, be honest to ourselves. And that was what that message was about, what I prioritise gets done. It was about don't lie to yourself. Um, so that's another key one. Um, early's on time. We've been talking about that as our worship team. They're all smiling probably wherever they are. Early's on time. On time is late. Help me out if you know it. Late is? Unacceptable. See, you had enough voices in the room. <laughs> that's true everywhere in life. All right. We talk about being a church for the unchurched, you know, building a church where the people who haven't been part of a church feel welcome and embraced, building a church for them. Another key teaching, we don't want to be just here for the Christians. Like, if that's it, I've said many times, find another pastor. I'm not interested in that. Let's be a church for those who are far from God and who, 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 who are keen to connect. So church for the unchurched. I want to look at one, ex- so these are just key teachings of our church, right? So, but I wanted to look at one specifically, one example that I didn't mention there, and I want to talk about it a little bit this morning. Because, uh, and the reason I want to talk about that particular one is because people who've been here for a season and then left, if I'm chatting to them and they, they mention any teaching that we, they learnt here or that they were, or I suppose, developed here or whatever, it's nine times out of ten. In fact, like, it's generally always the teaching here on margin. Right? So some of you have been with me for a while, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what you, Shane's saying about margin. And o- almost always, if someone mentions something that changed their life here, it's the concept of margin. Okay, so I thought, if we're going to look at what it looks like to apply teaching, let's look in the concept of that, because that's what a lot of people have shared with me has been power, something powerful um, as a teaching of this church. So what is the teaching of margin? Some of you are like, oh, wow, he's going there again. Others are like, I don't know, what, what would that be? Um, so here it is. So what's the teaching margin? So margin, some of this I'll read just for the sake of time, but margin is the godly principle of the gap between inputs and outputs. All right, so you know, oh, what does that mean? Said another way, amount available beyond what is necessary. All right, so margin then, catch this. I probably should have put this on a slide. Margin then is having a life, catch this, where I have available to me more resources than I need. That is a life of margin. A life of margin is where I have available to me more resources than I need. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> If you don't think that sounds good, you need, to, you need to go and see a doctor. Okay, that is good, all right? Now, the Bible, what's the Bible call that? The Bible calls that prospering. I didn't give this to, 
to the guys at the back, but you can check it out right down if you want. 3 John verse 2 says this in the King James Version, Beloved, I wish above all things. That's a big statement. I wish above all things. That's a massive statement, right? Above all things? Is, is everyone with me on this? I be, I be, I, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I didn't write that. All right. So think about this. Imagine having more time, more money, and more brownie points with your spouse than you need. Imagine that. Like seriously, if your brain can take you that far. More time, more money, and more brownie points with your spouse than you're ever going to need. That's what prospering looks like. And you might be thinking, whoa, that's a pipe dream. Sounds good, good to be true. Well, that's wrong. We just read about it. John, who was Jesus' best mate, said, the thing I desire above you all things is that you prosper. And he talks, and he doesn't talk about spiritually. He says, prosper in health, um, prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So soul prosper is the faith side of that. He mentioned two other things. So where are we going with this? Where are you going with this? Well, I would suggest to you this. Devote yourself and apply teaching, and that's your life. Does that make sense? It's really quiet in here. All right, so trouble is, trouble is, and this is where everybody's head's at right now. Trouble is, most of the time, God's will for us is so far beyond our level of faith that we can't even see it. We don't even realize that exists because it's so far beyond what we believe is possible. And that's okay. I'm just trying to bring you into that space this morning. The problem isn't the teaching. The problem isn't God's commitment to us. The problem is we aren't being devoted to being revived. What does it say in the scripture? You know, it's by the renewing of your mind. Have your mind being renewed. That's what we do when we come to church. So we're not, we're not devoted to this. So we're not devoted to being revived. We're not devoted to growing. We're not devoted to trying new things. So we dismiss the opportunity to step out in faith. And at that moment, we kill the supernatural in our life. That's when it dies. When, Paul went, sorry, when Peter went to step out of the boat, if he decided not today, that's when that moment was killed. Do you understand? It's a fairly simple concept. So specifically here, we talk about margin. So we talk about it in the three key, big key areas of life. I've already mentioned them. Margin in your time, margin in your relationships, and margin in your money. So if I'm talking about margin, I'm talking about margin in the three big areas. They're the, they're the three areas of your life that are going to affect you the most. The way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, and the way you, look, you, you do relationships, right? I would say this, this might be a big call, but I would say this. Being stressed or under-resourced in any of these areas is not God's will for your life. So if you've got financial stress, uh, relationship stress, or time stress, I'm here to tell you that's not God's will for your life. I'm not saying you shouldn't be there, whatever. I'm just saying it's not God's will for your life. Do you understand? All right. So how do I enjoy margin in time, finances, and relationship? Hopefully that's already where your head has gone. It is so simple. <laughs> Catch this. <laughs> I create this world, this happy little world with fairies around it, I create this world by not allocating all the resources that I have available. It's that simple. And, and you might be thinking, well, I, I, that doesn't create margin. And, catch this, this is the important part, 
applying God's teaching to make up the gap. You've got to have the applied teaching to make up the gap. Otherwise, you're never going to experience that stuff. I'll give you a simple example. This is a real simple example. I don't have time to go to church, right? So if you said that, you know, I don't have time to get there on Sundays. Well, you know what I know about you? You've got no time margin. Well, you do. You just submitted it, right? You've got no time margin, zero time margin. Um, so what I would do in that situation, so there's a situation where I need to create, I need to not allocate as many resources, right? So what do you do? I need the supernatural maybe to get there. So what, do I, what would you do? In the thing behind me, it said the original Christians, they, um, they applied teaching, they gathered together, they ate meals together, and um, the last one was they prayed. So wouldn't you just apply teaching and just go to church anyway and watch supernaturally that resource be created in your world? Wouldn't that be what a person of faith would do? We see we don't have the faith. That's a simple, simple example. See, if I didn't have time to go to church, you know what the number one way to create that time would be? We'll go to church. You empower the supernatural. Just apply what God said. Apply what Jesus said. That's what Peter did, remember? See, Peter couldn't walk on water. He didn't have the time. He didn't have the capability. He didn't have the ability to do that. So what did he do? He just heard what the Word of God was and just did it, and then the supernatural was empowered. This is a a message about the supernatural. See, when we first unpacked this concept almost a decade ago, we talked about margin, right? And we talked about the truth that it... So one of the things, the easy way for people to understand this, because sometimes things are like a bit concept-y and a bit grey, right? So the easy way to understand this whole concept, this is what we did, we unpacked this almost a decade ago. We talked about this fact that it isn't how much, um, I suppose, you earn that makes you feel like you're prospering, there's a whole teaching around this. I haven't got time this morning to go into it all. almost burnt my time. But we didn't have to. So, but, but, but here's the thing. It isn't, so just know this. You can talk to me about it later. I'll explain it to you. Know this. It isn't how much you, who you earn that makes you feel like you're prospering. It's how much you have left over, which makes how much you earn irrelevant. That makes you feel rich, makes you feel like you're prospering, makes you feel like you can do anything because you, you, know, you decide to go to the Gold Coast this weekend. Well, just go. Because you have margin, right? It's, you, didn't, you don't have margin because you're on $450,000 a year. You have margin because you have money to go. Does everyone understand? A little tip for you. I was reading a book, which I've mentioned a few times. It's not a spiritual book in any way, sense, or form, but I, I always like to read stuff to upskill. One of the books I read one time was, was called The Barefoot Investor. There's some good stuff in there. Gordon and I love chatting about it. There's some stuff that maybe it's not helpful, right? In there, he says this. He says, if you want to feel rich, go and buy the same pillow that James Packer buys. Do you know what I did not recently? Bought the same pillow James Packer buys. It's not that expensive. I'm sleeping on the same pillow. One of the richest men in Australia at one point was... Do you understand the concept? All I needed was... I might tell you how much that pillow cost me. The truth is, anyone of you could own it. See, it's not, it's, it's not how much you earn. He earns a lot more than me. It's the gap. So we're talking about the gap this morning. So, so we use that example. We use financial examples because it's easy for us to work out on a calculator what the gap looks like. You earn so much a year, we'll just spend less than that. Then you have margin, right? Anybody can work that out. Anybody can do that. But I want to take this a bit deeper this morning. And in, the, in the little amount of time I no longer have left, let's take it a little bit deeper because no longer... No, n- n- not only do we teach margin, not only do I teach that you should have a gap there, 
Now, look, if you're just hearing this for the first time, blah, blah, obviously there's a journey to get between you where you are, which might be way way behind to where God wants you. I totally understand that concept. But if you've been doing the journey for a decade and you're not there, I'm not sure why. Because not only do we teach margin in finance, um, because we want finance to be something that empowers you, not stresses you, right? We also talk about biblical principle of tithing here. And this is be, being devoted to the teaching part. It's all, it's all good to be devoted to the win part, but let's get devoted to the teaching part. The teaching part is tithing. And so tithing is the ultimate financial margin generator. I've got decades of life to prove it. Happy to chat to anyone. Tithing or giving 10% of my increase to God through his local storehouse, which in this case is the local church here, is one of the key teachings of our church. I know it's not one of the key teachings of every church, but it is a key teaching of this church. It's a cornerstone that has helped this church um, open ourselves up to the miraculous. You might not realise that, but it has. We have an example just last week. While most other churches locally have shrunk significantly in the last decade, this church has tripled in size. One of the key, but one of the key teachings of that is tithing. That is a foundation it's built on. I'm going to prove it to you. Last week, we talked about this miracle where we were able to save a, a small fortune potentially more than I make in a year, on our driveway, on our bitumen. But here's a part of the story I didn't tell last week. The only reason we could do that and make use of that miracle, because it still cost us. I shared in church, so it still cost us over $60,000. Now, you can't have that miracle if you don't have $60,000. So that miracle, this building, but that miracle specifically, was only achieved through the obedience of the tithers sitting around you. Without them, we don't have that miracle. We don't have that story. Because old mate comes and says, God, I be-, sorry, comes to the door and says, I believe God has led me to here so we can do this and you guys are going to have a big win. And I just go, look, I don't have 60 grand. That's the end of that miracle. Do you see what this, do you see how it's, it supercharges? That's why we're sitting in this building this morning. It's sitting on the, on the back of obedience, on the back of teaching, on back of people being devoted to teaching. All right? I got countless hours because it is one of our key, margin is one of the key things, tithing is one of the key things, so grow, celebrate, one of the key things. These are all key teachings, but just on this particular teaching, I'd say this international, because I'm using this guy only because he's, there's a thousand people I could mention, but this guy comes here occasionally, international scholar, Pastor Shane Willard, I think he'll be here in July. He knows more about the Bible historically, contextually, and grammatically than any other man I've ever met and am likely to meet. Those of you that heard him know that is true. And he is absolutely convinced. This is a guy that knows the Bible backwards better than anybody I know. He speaks Greek. He speaks Hebrew. And he is convinced about the power of tithing as God's will to create financial margin in your life. I'm not saying take his word for it because I, I didn't have to. It's clear in the Bible. But when you get a guy like that and he's like, man, there's nothing smarter you can do. It's just like, who am I to argue? Throw up the next slide for me, please, guys. This is it. No, not the verse, the slide. Should be a slide there called a creating margin. If not, uh, to create financial margin, be devoted to applying teaching. You don't have to be smart. You just got to apply. Without faith and understanding how faith works and how faith empowers the supernatural, we find it difficult to tithe because here's the thing with, with tithing specifically. You tithe out of obedience, right? Because it says it in the Word, but you've got to tithe in faith. 
Because what did I say before? You don't have time to come to church. What's the smartest thing you can do? Just go to church and watch God create the margin, watch God create the gap for you. Same with money. It's just the same with money. It's no different. We, we tithe because the Bible teaches it, but you've got to have that understanding. See, there's approximately 2,350 verses in the Bible about money possessions. Did you know that? People say, oh, God doesn't talk about money. 2,350 verses, 15% of the entire book. Jesus, some people will tell you, Jesus wasn't interested in possessions or how we treat money. If you read the three Gospels, one in four verses, about one in four, which is a higher percentage than 15, 25. One in four verses about possessions and money. If you want to talk parables, it actually goes to half, which is 50%. Most people don't realize or they don't want to know that Jesus himself tithed and said in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 23 that we should. It is important enough. Now, here's, here's, and this is the verse of guys have got. If it was important enough for that much teaching, it goes without saying that God would lay out a pattern for us to follow, right? And I'm not unpacking the full pattern with you this morning. I'm just, this is food for thought. We got a lot of, there's, there's a whole heap of teaching around this that I, I will probably unpack later in the year. I'm just getting, you're thinking, what does it look like if we apply teaching? What does it look like? In, in, um, so what does tithing do? Malachi 3.10. And then I'll, I'll plow through the rest. It's pretty quick. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Remember we talked about the storehouse. So there'll be enough food in my temple so you can build driveways. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So it was the tithes that filled the need, right? And then God pours the blessing on top of that. Age-old principle. Interesting that just before that, God says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. How does tithing open the window of heaven? Throw this. This is what I want to show people because this is stuff a lot of people don't understand. And we're getting really close to done just because I'm speeding this up. Um, three outcomes for the tither, not for the Christian, by the way. Three outcomes for the tither. Number one is contentment. This is what tithing does. So you're thinking, oh, how does this work? What happens? This is what tithing does. Now, if you don't want to apply teaching, this is not your promise. Contentment, it kills greed and materialism. That helps create, increase, create margin, right? That just makes sense. So if, I don't, if I'm not no longer trying to keep up with the Joneses, all right, it, it costs me less to exist, right? Again, this is just common sense stuff. But, it, but, but, but the thing is, we have this desire in us for this and that and whatever, but, but tithing actually kills that like nothing you've ever seen before. Tithing kills greed and materialism. The second one is wisdom. It, it, tithing will actually put wisdom in your life. You'll become masters of money, not its slave. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Instead of me constantly worrying about how I'm going to get money or make money or pay this bill or pay that bill, all of a sudden I'm using money to empower my life. So you move from in, you know, you know, trying to struggle to pay everything off to actually having money do the opposite thing, making it easier for you to live. The money does that, not your, not your job. Does everyone understand? This is, what, this is what money does. It gives you, sorry, this is what tithing does. It gives you wisdom. Become masters of money, not its slave. I've seen this so many times. Number three, and here's where we sort of already touched on this a little bit, supernatural provision. Obedience in finance equals miracles in finance. And I'm not saying you're going to be the next James Packer, but you might sleep on his pillow. You, you preach this stuff, everyone thinks you're, thinking, you're praying everyone's going to be rich. I just said before, I, I started this message with the fact it's not about what you earn. It's not about money falling from heaven and, you know, your pen turning to gold. God doesn't even need that. 
God just needs you to have a bit of margin. So some guy turns up and, and, and says, we can, and I'm just using this as an example because it's last week, all right, for us as a church with the driveway. Got, we got thousands of these examples, but a guy turns up and because we got margin, because this church tithes 15%, if you give the church $100, we, we give 15 to somebody else of that 100. Why do you think you're sitting in this building? If we weren't doing that, I have no doubts we would still be in McDowell Street and there'd be 60 of you here. It's miraculous. Just on the supernatural provision, I, I love this story. Uh, we were teaching on this a few year, a number of years ago, and uh, I was teaching. I read the verse about the about and the Malachi verse, and about how basically provision would just come, and and someone just decided to just do something crazy and apply teaching. I know it's it's really outrageous. So they did that. So they started tithing, and then within I'm sure it was within a week, if not, it was in a very short space of time. They got an income stream from a totally, you know, they didn't have to do anything. They didn't lift a finger. They didn't even go looking. All of a sudden, an income stream was created that they never would have even thought of. Just started coming. Money just started coming into their life that way. And it wasn't heaps of money, but it was money. That's how margins created. Supernatural provision. Obedience in finance, supernatural provision. Um, um, but, but, but to me, honestly, the bigger part of tithing is the top two, to be perfectly honest with you. You do the top two right, you don't need the bottom one. This is the world of margin, all right? Scott Wilson, in his amazing book, God's Economic Engine, in response to the question, I can't afford to tithe, right? So there's a slide for this. And, and we're all at different points in our lives been here, okay? So this is everybody. We're all in this spot. We're all in a spot where we, at different times, we couldn't, maybe can't afford to tithe. So it's not like a, a thing, but here. I would find it strange to hear this question from a mature Christian, that would indicate they're not managing their finances correctly. That is a discipline for a committed... This is talking about creating margin, right? Generally, it should be abnormal for the mature Christian. This is why we teach this stuff. Not necessarily tithing, but just margin. and so. Think about the Good Samaritan, right? Great story. Jesus told it. Think about this. Think about this. Could the Good Samaritan have done what he did if he didn't have time margin? He couldn't. He's like, oh, I'd love to help you, mate, but I'm in a big row. I'm already 10 minutes late. Could the good Samaritan have taken him to the motel if he didn't have financial margin? He's like, mate, you know, I've got all the time in the world, but um, I don't know where you want to go. I might be able to take you on my donkey. He had a donkey. <laughs> he had spare oil. He had spare money. He had spare time. Well, I would say he had margin. That miracle doesn't, the whole story of the good Samaritan doesn't exist if you don't have time margin and financial margin. We all want to be the good Samaritan. At some point in the Good Samaritan's life, he decided to create margin so he could be a blessing. You know these stories. I'll finish with a story this morning, um, which has become famous around here. Some of you will remember it, some of you won't, but, um, but we call it the two mower guy, right? Who, I always want to hands up on this. Who remembers the two mower guy? I seriously want to know. I don't often ask that, but I love you. I love you guys. This is my favorite. So this story totally changed the way we thought about everything behind me, okay? Tithing, money, God's provision, what it means to prosper. And so I heard this story once, and, and after this, I, might, I just got a couple other things, but what I might do is we might just close with a story because I love it. This is a great story. So there's this guy, right? He actually runs, a, the same dude actually now runs a massive church in, um, in, uh, in America somewhere. But at the time, he was a youth pastor in Australia, right? 
Anything you know about youth pastors that if they're on a wage, like if they're paid by the church, which this guy was, they're not earning anything. Okay, so like if you can eat, that's, that's happy days. So this guy, he's like, he's trying to do his best. He owns a ute and he, his mower breaks down. He can't fix it. So he's got to borrow a mower. So he rings the richest guy he knows and says, mate, can I just borrow your mower? I'll have it back by this afternoon. And, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind. The guy says, sure, come over. And so anyway, actually, I've got a slide of the, of the have I got a slide of the mower that he borrowed? I think, I do. I do. Yeah, that's it there. <laughs> no, no, that's just a cool photo. That mower actually goes over 200 miles an hour. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure. Pretty sure. That's the fastest mower in the world. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the mower he borrowed. But I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Honda and it was red, right? So, so he goes to this guy's house and he's, he's pick up the mower and he goes to the shed and there's two mowers in the shed. Well, there's probably a few things in the shed, but there was two identical mowers. They both look brand new and as shiny as that one. And he's like, oh, sweet, this guy's got two mowers. If it takes me longer, I can you know, probably get it back tomorrow. Anyway, they load it up and they do the straps and the guy says to him, who he picked the mower up, he sort of had two mowers there and he said, look, look just have that mower, don't bring it back. And the guy's like, like, it's a Honda. You know, anyone bought one of those suckers brand new? They're not cheap. And so he's like, oh, wow. Are you sure? Are you sure, mate? He's like, mate, just, I just want to bless you. Just want to bless you. have that mower. So this is supernatural provision, right? This is what we're all waiting for, the prospect when we tithe and God gives us something. He's driving home. He's driving home. And he's like, you know, on cloud nine, just inherited this brand new Honda mower. He's like, God, you must really love me. This is for all the hard work I do for the church. You know, you just gave me a mower and it's a Honda. And the Holy Spirit, this is a bit that caught us. This is a bit that caught my heart. The Holy Spirit says to, my, to the two mower guy, well, not to the two mower guy, to the other guy. He says, who would you rather be? Would you rather be you or the guy with two mowers? See, we're thinking God's provisions for us. The good Samaritan didn't have that view of it. The guy with two mowers didn't have that view of it. See, God wants you to be in this space so that can be your story. This is where this, this teaching gets all out of whack. Because here's the thing I've learned. I need that financial margin if I'm going to be part of someone else's miracle. And I personally would much prefer to be giving someone a mower than accepting one. And for over a decade now, I've had two mowers. Would you stand with me this morning? I have, it's true. Lord Jesus, we want to experience revival. We're not interested in somebody else's revival, we're interested in our own revival. Lord God, because the one thing we know is that as you revive us, you revive the environment that we're in. And if we would, if we would apply teaching, if we would go, God, what are you saying to me? What are you having me here to learn? As we step into that space and go, wow, I've never walked on water before, but it looks like a lot of fun. I'd love to give a Honda away. Lord Jesus, I pray that we have the audacity to listen to what you're saying to us and apply it. And in so doing, in so doing, Lord God, I pray that we would begin to see revival in our own life. 
we would begin to see you take us places that we never thought we could go. Lord God, I pray that we would begin to hear from you in a way that we never thought we could hear from you. Lord, we could see the miraculous be, be done through us in ways that we never believed could happen through us. But it comes through obedience. Lord, would we be a church that quits the excuses but begins to live by faith? Lord, I pray that you would teach each one of us. We're all at different levels of this journey because some of us have been on it longer than others. But Lord God, I pray that no matter where we are sitting today, you would challenge us. You would revive us. You would show us new areas of teaching to apply so that, Lord God, we can be that person who the miraculous is unpacked through. God, we want to see the supernatural. We want to see amazing miracles. We want to see people set free. Lord, help us see that that happens when we, when we apply teaching, when we gather together, when we eat together for meals and when we pray. Let us simple it up, Lord God. Give us the audacity to just do what you're telling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.